are listening to the MythMaker Podcast Network. Welcome to the podcast with a thousand phases. I'm Tyler Lapkin, podcast producer for the Joseph Campbell Foundation. Today, I have the honor of speaking with George Mumford, an individual whose life story beautifully mirrors the hero's adventure and is deeply inspired by the wisdom of Joseph Campbell. George's journey began on the basketball courts of the University of Massachusetts, where he was an aspiring player and roomed with the legendary Dr. J, Julius Irving. However, as injuries forced him out of the game, he found himself numbed by the pain and emptiness that followed, leading to a battle with addiction. George's story takes a profound turn as he made meditation a centerpiece of his life, eventually working with the renowned Dr. John Kabat-Zinn and co-creating the Inner City Stress Reduction Clinic. His unique path led him to a collaboration with legendary coach Phil Jackson and the Chicago Bulls. George's expertise in mindfulness and his deep understanding of the human psyche helped transform not only basketball teams, but also the lives of countless individuals. Today, he's a world-renowned psychologist and mindfulness performance expert who has worked with superstars like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, as well as corporate executives, Olympians, and many others. Mumford's first book, The Mindful Athlete, is a memoir and instruction guide for accessing your inner masterpiece. In his new book, Unlocked, Embrace Your Greatness, Find the Flow, Discover Success, is available now. In this conversation, we talk about Campbell's influence on his life, meditation, and the meaning behind the title of his new book, Unlocked. So get yourself comfortable and enjoy my conversation with George Mumford. So George, welcome to the podcast with a thousand faces. And uh, before we start here, I just want to say that your work and your story have had such a meaningful impact on my life that it's it's truly an honor to have you here. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. That was the intention, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not only me. Yes. Well, and I want to start with your newest book. It's it's called Unlocked, Embrace Your Greatness, Find the Flow, Discover Success. And you begin the book with a quote by Joseph Campbell. And I, I just want to read the quote. So you say, this, I believe, is the great Western truth, that each of us is a completely unique creature, and that if we're ever to give any gift to the world, it will have to come out of our own experience and fulfillment of our own potentialities, not someone else's. So why did you choose to begin the book with this quote? Because it it sets the tone for, for unlocking. It sets everything. So that's one thing. But the second thing is uh, my own story. I just celebrated 39 years of sobriety uh, several weeks ago on July 30th. Congratulations. And when I I can tell you when I was listening to his power of myth, I was in the process. I had been I had been a financial analyst for at that time, maybe up to like 14 years or whatever. And I got my master's degree and and I changed jobs. And it was at a point where I realized that I was really good at what I did, but my heart wasn't in it. And every day coming home from work and listening to an episode, and I kept hearing, follow your bliss, 
you know, doors were open where there were no doors. It just spoke to me. And that, that quote, because what happened to me in my process when I got clean and then I went back to school after 13 years and I got very drawn into the whole existential uh, philosophy, psychotherapy, because I was, I was studying counseling psychology. And it was the first time in my life after, at that time I had been in recovery for two years. And at that time, when I started thinking about potentialities and the things he quotes about in that quotes in that book, that when I started getting a sense for why I was the way that I was, it was telling me who I was and how I needed to pursue this idea of of everyone having their own potentialities, and and that that it has to it has to be an inside out job. So I talk about the masterpiece within, or everybody has that Buddha nature, Christ consciousness, or you might say you might have a soul of a thousand faces if you want to look at it that way, or you know uh, that. But it was an inside job. So it spoke to everything that has been um, affirmed in my own experience. And that I, I felt that it was to be true. And I know that the only way that I can offer anything to the world is to be authentically my unique uh, masterpiece, if you will, or me making a choice on how I'm going to respond to the world in a way where I'm going to offer something to the world that is productive, inclusive, uh, powerful, and inspiring. Well, uh, on that note, uh, one of one of Campbell's famous quotes is, "The privilege of a lifetime is being who you are," and it's a privilege because often there's so much noise and so much conditioning from from the culture, from family, from religion. That, that we have difficulty sometimes finding what our uh, essence is, what our unique gifts are. And I, when I was reading your book, I, I know that that's what you mean. Um, that's what the heart of what you mean by unlocked. Um, yes. And in the book, through your, your personal stories and practical examples, you're offering tools for all of us to, uh, to be able to not only to discover, but to live as our unique and authentic selves. So can you just elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by the word unlocked? Thank you for sharing that because obviously I wrote the book. It came out in May. I'm I'm on a book tour. I've been talking about it just like on this podcast and I'm learning more and more about unlock, but unlock can be for a moment or a little bit or profoundly, right? And so what I mean by unlocked is I mean by I think about it in terms of of how uh, Martin Buber talked about it, and he said, you know, in the way of man, the Hasidic way, um, he said that we all uh, have divine sparks that in, that are encrusted in a shell, and that we have a div- we have a system of hideouts where we're hiding from ourselves. And he starts off with the, the uh, biblical story about Adam walking in the Garden of Eden. And God asking him, Adam, wherefore art thou? And he wasn't really asking Adam where he was physically because he knew that. I mean, he, he could sense that. He was really saying, I've allotted so many years of life to you and what have you done? And so it, it so it's really about letting your masterpiece within express itself 
your divine spark, your Buddha nature, your Christ consciousness, your Kuan Yin energy, whatever you call it, there's a power, there's a greatness within if we can embrace it and, and access it, develop it so we can share it with others. And so to me, that's what we could do, that by doing that, that's the most profound thing we can do. That's what we can offer to the world, this ability to embrace our greatness and that's challenging for me it's going in it's going into the descent it, it's being embracing everything and as campbell said in and the power of myth your life where your pain is is where your life is and so it's like embracing that embracing my substance abuse embracing my chronic pain whatever it is and realizing that as marcus aurelius said what's in the way becomes the way so this unlocking means to actually unlock and discover these hidden gifts that only come out. Well, they don't only come out, but they, they tend to manifest when we have extreme pain or extreme joy. So the idea is to allow ourselves to express that, to access it. And, and so for me, you access it when there's, when, when, you know, when you take the hurdles, the hero's journey you know when you when you go into the mouth of the whale or whatever or you ride in the abyss or whatever it is but it's something that we see as a curse turns out to be a blessing turns out to be an opportunity for us to express ourselves and to offer that you know in that hero's journey to come back and to offer that to the world and the more i'm on this journey so sometimes unlocking is is as simple as and I just had this thing. I have this little fanny pack with my wallet and everything in it. And I put it in the safe place and I forgot where it was. <laughs> you know, and I kept looking for it. I was going all over the place, kept looking at it some places, or maybe I left it in the other office. And then once I stopped trying to look for it, I found it. That's <laughs> it's, unlocking. It's, it's there like, all along. Yeah. It's like get your, you know, get your, your best thinking gets in the way. Just stop thinking and be still. And know and let the answer that's there that you're because you're because you're trying to because of your activity, you're actually not being still and being in that place of rest where that creative energy and that wisdom comes out of. And so that's a period of unlocking. And we all have had that experience of what that feels like, because what we're doing is we're unlocking so that the wisdom, the information that we're asking is already there. Now, I want to dovetail on what um one of my favorite uh, philosophers alan watts one of them he who says was, uh, ask, who was friends with with campbell yeah of course he was and there was a guy philip uh Cousteau, was it whatever he did the he did a biography on joseph campbell uh when i was working in this place called interface and so he was presenting and i was working as a volunteer and i got to talk to him and i said what was joseph campbell like and he said we'd be shooting and We'd be doing something. And then when we had a break, he had on one of these chairs with the rollers on it. And he would roll over and go to what he was working on. He would just get right back into it. And, my, and so, so yeah. So to me, it's uh, it's just profoundly, some people just profoundly touch you in a way or come, you know, it's like uh, we, we, in the Buddhist tradition, they talk about uh, sickness, old age, and death, and the mendicant. Uh, mendicant as as heavenly uh messengers and so when something like death or or aging whatever comes we can look at it as something that shouldn't be there or we can look at it as something to remind us of of our own potentialities 
our own gifts to the world. And so that's how I look at it, right? And so it's all about something happens and then you interpret what it means. So when you're unlocked, you're able to see the beauty in a half-grown rose. You're able to see that, oh, there's an opportunity here for me to offer something to the world that has everything to do with, with, with the highest or the greatest good or communicating through my experience the potentiality even in this place where, as Viktor Frankl talks about, where there's unavoidable suffering, but we have this opportunity to, when we find meaning in suffering, it ceases to be suffering. So we get to choose our attitude, how we're going to relate to the suffering in a way that, as uh, Martin Buber would talk about, we could do what angels cannot do. And what is that? We can hallow something. We can make something holy. And so that's what we can do that angels can't even do. So no matter what happens to us, we have this opportunity in our last moment to bring grace, dignity to this compassion, this love to whatever it is in a way that transforms it and makes it like, okay, it's just like everything else. It's a holy messenger of death. Oh, okay. Instead of seeing it as something to be avoided, some void, no, it's actually a place where we can access that that potential inside of us in a way where we offer something to the world and that by offering something to the world we're also offering something to ourselves that's beautiful george and i i have a couple of quotes here that that one of them's from your book they're both by uh <laughs> men with the initials jc so the first yes. one's from from jesus uh, yes and the second one's from Campbell. but So in the book, you use this quote from Jesus. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. And the Campbell quote says, my definition of a devil is a God who has not been recognized. That is to say, it's a power in you, which you have not given expression and you push it back. And then like all repressed energy, it builds up and becomes completely dangerous to the position you're trying to hold. And these quotes to me, they're they're both saying kind of the same thing. I mean, I particularly like Campbell's quote with the use of the word devil, not as something to that that's external to who and what we are, but as something integral to who we are, something that must be allowed to be seen and experienced in order to bring about a, a transformation or a, a realization. So my, my question to you is, how can we seek to understand our experience, even when it's difficult, um, without repressing it, in order to discover what it's asking of us? Yes, that's where we have to have this uh, ability to let what's in front of us speak to us in its own language. It's like a definition of wonder. Wisdom begins in wonder is being curious and being interested in what is this and what's the lesson? What's the lesson here? And so it's really more about seeing it as a heavenly messenger, as I talked about before, instead of seeing it as something that to be denied. And this is a whole thing about uh, acceptance or you know or awareness of what we call pure awareness or intuitive awareness or what I would call um in the book I call it um affirmative awareness affirmative awareness yes I have so many names for it affirmative awareness it's an awareness that embraces everything and says yes to whatever is there and in that embrace 
there, there's a way, like I said, especially when we're coming from that silence where that masterpiece within, or I call it the eye of the hurricane, when we're coming from that place of rest that Joseph Campbell talked about, when he said, when, you, when you're at championship form, you're coming from what you're centered, this place of rest where you're not compelled by desire or fear, but you're holding your center. And so coming, that's what I'm talking about. When we can come out of that, we can just see it as another experience. And there's another guy, his name was uh, Dr. David Hawkins. He made a statement that's profound. He said, all experiences are of equal value. So can we say yes to the pain uh, emphatically, as emphatically as we say yes to the joy? There's, you know, there's the same 10,000 joys and sorrows. You know, it's this idea of just embracing it. And it's not the situation out there that's the most important thing. The most important thing is our relationship to it, whether we can observe it without identifying with it, but at the, at the same time saying yes to it. Once again, this is Joseph Campbell when he's talking to the guru. And he says, how can we, and he says, we must say yes to it. See, that's, it, it's many people keep saying the same thing. It's like you say yes, and it doesn't mean you approve of it or you desire it, but there's a way of experiencing experience where you could just embrace it and not be identified with it. And it's your quality of relating to it. As Viktor Frankl says, when we find meaning in suffering, it ceases to be suffering. So it's, it, but we have this nervous system, this program to approach what's pleasant, to avoid what's unpleasant and to space out if there's no interest, like indifference, when it's neither pleasant or unpleasant, we space out. So the idea is to have this curiosity, this interest, and to say all experiences are of equal value, and the moment is pregnant with possibility. So coming at it like that and seeing the greatest adventure you can be on is getting to know yourself better. Right. And I think I, I'm a mindfulness and meditation teacher myself. And I know for, for myself, and I know for most, most of us, that's sometimes the hardest part is to cut through the noise, to cut through the stories that that limit us from actually accessing that that deepest part of ourselves and to to unlock these things that you're our mm -hmm. potential, our, our gifts, because we've been conditioned in a certain way, um, but we can't see through it. Yeah, well, we get stuck in the thinking. So there's a practice called bear awareness, bear attention. And so when we have the difficulty, it, it, it's feeling pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And if we can just deal with the, the like, say, let's talk about uh, anxiety, because that's the opposite. That's the, this is what uh, Soren Kierkegaard talks about this idea of we're talking about freedom, right? He says one side of the coin is heads, freedom, the other side is tails, or uncertainty, anxiety. They come together. And so, we have to understand that there's a way of just noticing it and not identifying with it, not pushing it away, not pulling it towards us. Because here's what we know. When, we, when we're in the realm of thought or in a linear realm, things arise and fade away. And so, but we got sticky minds like Velcro. And so whether we don't like it or like it, we connect with it and we push it away. But the more we push it away, the more connected we are, the more we move towards it the more connected we are and so once we realize that it's a sticky mind we can just observe it and if we allow it to be there if we can be a silent witness and allow it to arise and fade away everything that arises will cease it will fade away even with pain i learned this with chronic pain 
I have this idea, oh, I'm in pain all day long, but I wasn't. But the memory of the pain, if I'm focusing on the current situation out of my experience of the pain out of the past, then I'm experiencing something that's actually a memory and not an activity in the moment. And so we start to understand that if we can just get out of the mind, get out of the head rather, and just focus on, okay, there's this sensation. It's going to, it's going to, it may increase. It may, you know, it may peak and then it's going to change. It always changes. It's never going to stay the same. And I realized that once I changed my mindset, instead of saying I was in pain all day uh, yesterday, so I'm saying, well, you're going to be in all pain, uh, pain all day today, but I'm, working on I'm not distinguishing between the present moment and the memory of the past or the expectation of the future. And so the only time we have is now. And right now, this is a profound statement I'm about to say, but in my experience, it's true. Right now, there's nothing wrong. Sure. Yeah. But we say, yeah, but but we don't stay in the moment. That tells us what, what the issue is because now we're dealing with the with the past or the future and not experiencing that right now nothing's wrong, and this moment sets up the next moment. Now, can I talk about, okay, uh, in the future, because we live in the future we see, so if I can say to myself, no matter what happens, if I can distinguish between uh, reacting and responding where I create space, and in that space is the freedom and power to choose. Once again, we're talking about Viktor Frankl, talking about we have the freedom and power to choose, and so if we can just be still and know, or if we can just observe experience, there's a way of slowing down the perceptual process. This is what mindfulness is about, mirror mind. It just reflects what's there. It's not making anything. It's not creating anything. But then we, when we're not mindful, when there's no space, we, 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 have, an, we have a perception of something. And it's what we call contact. You know, the eyes have to work, the object and there has to be consciousness. And then I make contact. And right after contact, there's pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And then not to mention the, uh, you know, the perception of what it is and the thinking about it. The mental formations focus on abstract thinking, associative thinking, self-interest, embellishing it, and all of these things overlays. And so you're looking at the mirror with, with not only uh, dust on the mirror, but we might even have paint on it that prevents us and this is what we call the hindrances, the hindrances, you know, like the sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, uh, restlessness and worry and doubt. Those hindrances, why we call them hindrances, because they hinder our ability to see clearly and to be in the moment. And so each time we have a difficult situation, it's helpful to understand what hindrance is affecting us and where we're feeling it in our body. So it becomes on a level of sensation. You can manage that. But if you're in the thought about it, then that's the papancha. That's the proliferation of thoughts. Then you create a story about it. And you're relating to the thing, uh, not directly, but indirectly based on your perception. Something happens and you interpret what it means. And that interpretation is, is, has a lot of impurities in it. It has a lot sure. of overlays. And so the whole idea is is the purification. Mindfulness is a path of purification to purify the mind and so that we can, the mind is empty and it just reflects what's in front of it. That makes any sense. So it, what you just said, it reminds me, number one, of a quote from um, your friend, meditation teacher, Jack Hornfield. He says, when we drop below our stories, we're led back to the mystery of the here and now. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, that's 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 that sounds like Jack. <laughs> well, and then it also reminds me of um, it's one of my favorite quotes from Campbell, um, and we relating it back to story and myth, um, the stories that we create about ourselves. He says the task of any individual who wants to be free is to demythologize and demystify the authority or myth that has unconsciously informed his or her life. He says, we gain personal authority and find our unique sense of self only when we learn to distinguish between our own story, our autobiographical truths, and the official myths that have previously governed our minds, feelings, and actions. And I think those those official myths that have, have governed us before, those can be stories of our own creation that we've filtered in through our um, conditioned mind, our experience that don't serve us anymore. Um, and you've you've talked about this a little bit, but how has this process played out in your own life through through your study of, of mindfulness and meditation, your own hero's journey? And you've talked about it a little bit, but again, like how can we, how do you recommend that, that we're able to recognize these stories in our lives that aren't serving us. Yes. It's interesting. So I'm going to hip hop a little bit, or you got to get with yourself. You got to, you got to go inside It's an inside job. You got to, you got to follow the heart with the, the path with heart. Joseph, um, Jack talks about that. I think Joseph Campbell talks about follow your bliss, but we have to just, it has to, and he says this, you know, I give you a teaching, but you got to, you got to see if it worked for you. So this is what the Buddha talked about, this idea of there's teachings, but then you got to investigate and see if you can have a direct experience of the teaching. So that's how you know, can you have a direct experience? But that requires a, this ability to have self-honesty. An interesting thing about self-honesty is it's self-honesty helps us to have self-confidence. And so being able to, uh, to say, you know, the, the be honest, open-minded and willing, we call it the how in 12 steps. It's just being able to notice that we have this ability. First of all, number one, I'm responsible and I make choices. It's just really, it comes down to that. And, you know, we talk about it, you know, um, Warren Bennis in his book called uh, On Becoming a Leader, you got to be yourself to be a leader. And once again, we're going back to Kierkegaard, where he says one of the common forms of despair is not being ourselves. So now we got to come to the locus of control being internal or external and if we are going to escape freedom by depending on authoritarianism or conformism or being who we think we should be or who we ought to be instead of being who we are. And how do you know that? Your heart will tell you. And you can tell when you're being yourself, when you're being authentic. And this is the existentialists always talk about authenticity, being authentic yourself because you have a unique self. But the only way you're going to know yourself is is the to think about it, to look at, to understand we have this ability to be self-aware, to observe our experience, and understand that we get to self-regulate, self-regulate thoughts, feelings, behaviors. And once I choose, I am responsible, no no excuses, you know, I'm responsible, period, no blame. And then I can start to see how I'm thinking, how my thoughts affect me, how, how my feelings affect me, how my behavior affects me. And so this is why we have these things like the 10 commandments or the five precepts. And they're not commandments. They're really ways of saying that you might consider relating to your experience in these ways because they allow you to be able to see clearly. But that's the whole idea about mindfulness is purification. So you're able to see things clearly. You're allowed, you're 
you're able to let things speak to themselves in their own language. And when you see that now, you see that everything is always changing and everything. Uh, and then we get beyond this illusion of no self, but suffering is the first noble truth. Why is it noble? Because the suffering is a messenger saying that this is the way it is. But once you accept suffering and you find meaning in it, it ceases to be suffering. But it's all about just being able to, to be unlocked so you can let things be as they are and you can just let things come and go but you can be still just by observing and being that silent witness that observes things not that you don't do anything but how are you going to know where you get stuck if you don't observe yourself getting stuck how are you going to know suffering if you don't experience suffering and realize there's suffering but then there's a second there's anguish or there's more suffering that comes from the suffering by trying to deny it or repress it rather than letting it be as it is. And then you just accept the noble truth of suffering and the cause of suffering. So it's to be, it's to be understood. So we got to know what suffering is. And that's the challenge for us because initially we're, we, we have suffering and then we move away from it. But at some point we have to understand like a hindrance, like anger, we might say, okay, how do we abandon anger? That works for a little bit. But at some point, we got to realize when anger is present, how does it affect us? We have to investigate and explore how anger and non-anger are different. And like lust, is lust in the mind or is not in the mind? All of these things, is joy in the mind or not in the mind? So you talk about the hindrances and the, and the, and the, um, the, you know, the awakening powers, you know, there's still mindfulness, you know, investigation is really important. Joy is important. Equanimity is important. Concentration is important. But it's really understanding when the mind is at peace and when it's not. When the mind has hate, when it doesn't have hate. When it has um, sensual desire, when it doesn't. So it's not, it's not saying one is better than the other. It's just saying one is helpful when it's not. One allows you to see clearly the other one um obscures your experience and 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 gets you into a place where everything you're doing you're actually causing more suffering rather than moving towards peace without gathering more more wisdom because it's not just getting your mind in the right mindset where you're developing the mind it's also understanding wisdom having right view the right understanding and right speech right action right livelihood all of these things it's all about this idea of, of, as the Buddha simplified, do good, avoid evil, purify the mind and the heart. He says purify the mind, but I also, uh, and something to chitta, it means both, the heart and the mind. But that's it. And it's, and it's just noticing what's helpful, what's not. It's really simple. And the mindfulness, the, the meditation, it, it, it allows us to create that space around our experience to be a little bit removed from it so that then we can respond to whatever's happening with uh with hopefully a little more skillfulness and clarity yeah but even when we don't that's still a teaching sure we get to learn so from that I'm, as well so, so and i'm gonna get a little controversial here but there's a philosopher, well, it might be two of them because they, they collaborate on it. Dr. J, I mean, not, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I got my mind on money, money on my mind. That's meditation. 
So we meditate from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep. So the definition of meditation is to contemplate. To contemplate means to look at repeatedly and look at closely. So in us, one of the superpowers we have as human beings is we become what we think about. We manifest what we focus on. So now we got to understand that from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, we can have an idea of, you know, what I have my mind on what and what on my mind. That's a choice, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And so the idea is to recognize what thoughts are wholesome, what thoughts are unwholesome. It's really that simple. It's not yeah. good or bad. It's either wholesome or unwholesome, helpful or not helpful. Helps you to have be more present and, and to have more joy and love and compassion versus having, you know, ill will or, frust you know, frustration, jealousy, all of those negative things. I talk about it in terms of the two wolves, you know, that's inside of us that the Cherokee grandfather talked about. And I simplified to say one is fear, one is love. And they're having this ferocious battle. This is what we're going through from moment to moment. Though that love and fear of fighting each other. And when the grandfather tells the grandson, he says, I have this inside of me, but you have it inside of you. Everybody has it inside of them. And when the grandson says, which one will win? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So what wolf are you feeding? Sometimes you wake up, the time you go to bed, which wolf are you feeding? Because that's the one that's going to dominate. Whatever we give our attention and energy to, that's what grows. That's it. And so what you focus on, that's why we talk about the sublime abodes. You know, we talk about love and kindness, uh, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity. So you want to cultivate those qualities so that they have a habit of showing up, even when you're not thinking about them. They're, right. they're there. But so there's so much we can do. So some of it is cultivating the mind, but a lot of it has to do with uh, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Right. How we live in the world. Yes, and how to express it. Yeah, how how to how to bring bring more affinity, more goodwill into our interactions with ourselves and with uh, with others. Now, I I just it's coming out soon, but I I do this at home with George on YouTube every every week, and then when I just talked about, I started off with the basic fundamentals. I grew up Christian, uh, uh, uh you know, Southern Baptist, right, and so. The greatest commandment is the love of God with all your mind, heart, and soul. And the second part of that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I would say that's the issue because we don't love ourselves. We don't love our neighbors. And that's a big challenge. But that's an opportunity for us to really start to see how can we bring that so we're treating the other as ourselves. So we have to treat ourselves well in order to treat others well. And so I, I've come up with one of these Georgisms, which I call... Um, you got to be selfish to be selfless. So you got to love yourself. And, and that's why we don't, because we have to love our neighbor. We're focused on loving our, our neighbors and not loving ourselves and not even understanding. As some people say, love it. When you love, you either love everything or you don't love anything. And so this idea of love being an attitude, being a way of being rather than being a possession. And so we have to think that or just affinity or just just having creating space for the person you don't have to like them or love them but you don't hate on them you know so that's what i used to remember sharon and i were doing a presentation and she said do you teach you know love and kindness and compassion i said no i don't not necessarily not what the dudes in prison and she says well what do you say to them i just tell them don't be hating <laughs> you know it's really really that simple 
right? Yeah. yeah. And that that gets you in the door, but it's what we call skillful means. You have to have a way of getting people. They may not go from zero to 60, but you, how do you get them moving in the right direction where they start to see that they have way more power than they ever imagined? And it's really a matter of them deciding if they're going to cultivate good or, or cultivate fear. I'll just call it fear. I won't even call it e evil. I'll just cultivate, you know, this, this separateness, this self-centered fear. Well, I'm an acupuncturist. I'm a mindfulness teacher. And what you just said about that that's cultivating, you know, almost in a sense, self selfishness. Um, it's not because in order to be able to serve my patients, I have to have uh, the resources in in myself, and so focusing my on myself and my own joy and happiness and clarity, I'm being of service in a greater way to my patients, um, and I think it works the same way. In any relationship, whether it's a marriage or a friendship, yes, um, yes. if you don't like yourself, the, the person that's showing up in that relationship isn't going to be offering as much, you know, or or anything to, to that relationship to help it to to grow and 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 flower. Yes, when you go on a plane, you hear that every time you have a, small, a young person or somebody that needs your help, you put your asking mask on first, then you put theirs on. But here's the thing, and this is where we get into trouble because we have this illusion of separateness. And we don't realize that by working on yourself, you're also helping other people and you're giving other people the opportunity and the permission to work on themselves. But you be, and this goes back to that book, The Way of Man. Martin Buber says to begin with oneself, but not to be preoccupied with oneself. Sure. And so you got to focus with you and then you have something to offer but because when we get beyond the illusion of separateness, you realize that when you're helping someone else, you're helping yourself. In the Course of Miracles, they talk about this idea of all that I give is given to me. So it's reciprocal. So if you give people hate, that's what's coming back at you. If you give people love, that's what's coming back at you, whether they accept it or not, that you give it. And so it's not why we do it, but we see that we be we give what we are and we are what we give. It's just really simple. You cannot experience something that you're not. Right. If that right. makes any sense. Now, we can go to Emerson. He talks about that. There's all of these uh, great thinkers from the past that talk about this. The unexamined life is not worth living. So you got to examine life. What do you examine? You examine, you know, whether you have right view and how are you relating and work thought and word, thought and deed. How are you? What are you creating? What are you bringing to the world and offering to the world? So I want to switch gears, but this is going to connect back to what you're talking about right now. I think one of Campbell's greatest contributions was his ability to separate the mythical and metaphorical aspects of spiritual traditions from the historical and, and literal. And his teaching shows how that um, there's this essence at the core of all spiritual traditions, that that when the teachings and the traditions are taken metaphorically, when they're read as as poetry instead of prose, as he would say, then they offer us the metaphors um, that can help us to experience the deepest parts of ourselves and to connect with something beyond our limited sense of self, the, the beyond the separateness, as you were talking about. And that it's not something that's happening out there, but these metaphors are all pointing to the potentials and possibilities that we all have within. And in your book, you say that all the traditions offer teachings that center around the process of unlocking a connection to the divine and to our own authenticity. 
So I'm hoping that you can speak a little bit about this, about how you see uh, the spiritual traditions allowing us to to unlock a connection to the divine or to our own sense of a greater sense of authentic self. Yes. So if you look at the teachings of, of the Buddha or Jesus Christ, it, it's like people have this idea that Jesus Christ was this God or, or figure. And one of the things I think Jesus offered was this idea of embracing the greatness within that we have Christ consciousness of Buddha nature or the divine spark is already there. He's just saying, you know, you know, it's, it's there. And I, I don't know one of the teachings, I don't know if it was from Edgar Casey or whatever, but the saying is you don't, you don't go to heaven, you grow to heaven. So that means heaven is here and men do not see it. He talked about it. So the mask of eternity. So it really is saying that, yeah, it's just, you have to be still and know it's an inside job. You got to start living in the mystery and, and realizing that you have this ability to live in the wonder, to live it, you know, see life as an adventure, getting to know yourself, but not just for yourself, not to be, not to be preoccupied with yourself, but to, to offer it to the world, to give it, you know, so to me, it's really, I talk about that, but it's really, it's really simple. It's just be still and know, as I said in the Bible, or just um, understand that, that there's, there's an energy inside that you can access and it's not out there. And in the Christian tradition, they talk about the body being the temple. So you meet God in your temple. And there's a book called, if you meet Buddha on the road, kill him. Because <laughs> it's not out there. It's in here. Yeah. But we've been taught that we have to go to, and I guess Jesus had to deal with the Pharisees around this, that we have to go someplace. Or as Joseph Campbell said, we have to be baptized or circumcised to have a relationship with God. Come on, man. That's not, you know, that's a tradition. Those are traditions, but a lot, some of these traditions or these uh, man-made systems, I'm not judging them. They're just what works for people, but they're not the only way. But we have access to that. And, and just by, and I, if we can be with ourselves, that's why I say get with yourself. Just listen to your heart. Just listen to what's inside and how you distinguish what to listen to that's helpful or not helpful. Once again, that comes to feeding that, the love wolf and coming from love, coming from, you know, one of the things that Jesus taught, well, I, when I look, think of Jesus, I think of two things. I think of love everything and continual forgiveness. So the Buddha is saying the same thing. You can only conquer hate by love. And so that, so a lot of these traditions are just saying it, but that you, you are a, a masterpiece. You have a divine spark inside of you and your job is to chip away to let it out. It's just like Michelangelo, when they asked him about these masterpieces he created, he says, all I do is chip away to get to the masterpiece that's already there. That's what we're talking about. It's there, but are you willing to access it? It's an inside job. Only yeah. you can develop it and access it. And to the degree that you develop it and access it, it's going to be reflected in your life. You should know them by their fruits. It, it will express it. So if you do this, you're going to live more fully and more creatively and and you're going to feel more connected because right now one of the things that we at least in the states i imagine it might be beyond the u.s but, but the number one do you know what the number one health issue is uh does it have to do with loneliness yes feeling un disconnected or being feeling 
alone and alienated. And there's a youth that just got picked up in Philadelphia that got radicalized. See, everybody's looking for some, yeah. as, as uh, Eric Fong talked about, we're looking for some frames of orientation and devotion. And so if you're not getting it at home or you're not getting it in a way where there's some philosophy that says that all human life is sacred and we are all connected, even though we might think differently or behave differently, then if we don't access him, he's going to get radicalized or tribalized or just be so alienated that that he's going to go to kid video games and and just be in you know have his own system of hideouts and so if we don't embrace people with us they're going to go where they get embraced it could be gangs it could be radical people that just want to blow stuff up or fundamentalists religions yes and so the idea is to really understand that whatever and this is what I'm talking a lot about psychology today, but this is what Eric Fong talked about, is whatever frames of orientation and devotion you have, you really want to come to the place where you're mature. When I say maturity, that means like when you lose a game, when you lose an election, you admit to it. And you 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 compete in the right way. You're not trying to steal or, or connect or dis... dis uh, or alienate or, or, or take people's rights away. It's not about that. It's about being mature it means I'm responsible. I make choices. And sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. And I have to shake hands and say, okay, I lost this time. I need to work harder. Or it wasn't it wasn't meant to be. But the other part of it is rational. You got to be rational. You can't be doing being irrational and then saying, you know, true north is not true north. Because by that, then everybody, you're always in a state of there's enough anxiety to go around just by changing a habit versus making it worse because you don't know which way is up. You don't know which way is true north. So you have to be, you know, mature, rational and productive. Like when you love something, you make it grow. And so if you're observing somebody or if they are they destroying or are they producing? What are they doing? And so when you you can be a productive, that's the positive freedom. When you can be spontaneous of one's own own uh, will and choose to be go to church or you choose to do something, but you're not compelled. You're not in a cult where they're forcing you to. You have to get to you to when you mature and product and rational, and you're focused on production, not on power. Or love is another way of saying production. Then you're probably going to be on the right path and you're probably going to have a great life. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you were talking about with, with this boy who was picked up and Campbell would talk about how myths, when we lived in smaller groups and the same, we had a shared experience, same, same environments. The myths worked to give us direction, to unite us, to connect us with the, with the mystery. And our world has changed so much that, that we don't have any more, uh, bounded horizons. And so like you're saying, uh, what our job is, is to find something, whether it's in these traditions, that the parts that that open our life in some way, or find through meditation, you know, that deepest part of ourself, our truth, um, that gives us some clarity and direction. It's It's up to us now, because the myths don't work in the same way. And people can well, give us a change. story to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or we can choose to be the authority of our own life by by looking within. 
Yeah, the, the myth changed, you know, like Luke Skywalker or, or whatever it is. But this is the thing about using metaphors and having these uh, archetypes or these these uh, um, the hero's journey or whatever it is. Because what they do is, is they're nonlinear. They're not saying, and this is where we're going now. And you can see it when people want to control what you read, what you see, how you speak and all that. Instead of saying one size doesn't fit all, we need to have a system or process that, that has some space in it for people to figure out how they need to be, how they need to do it. And Joseph Campbell talked about that. He says, it's got to work for you, but you have to know who you are so you can be who you are. So you can express who you are, so you can share who you are. So it Absolutely. all starts know thyself. You have to know how you need to do it. You have a certain rhythm, a certain potential, uh, a certain, you know, circadian rhythm, rhythm that is is based on who you are, and you have to go to that. Now, unfortunately, because of cultures and because of uh, some structures, they don't allow people to do that. They want to tell you who you should be or how you should do it. And then sometimes we just want to emulate somebody and don't see that, okay, I'm doing that, but that doesn't work for me. Or I'm in this group and they're saying we got to do this. Um, that doesn't work for me. When we do that, what happens is we cut off parts of ourselves because of the conflict or the cognitive dissonance. And so we become uh, 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 a, a compound of sub-personalities. And each personality doesn't know what the other one is rather than having a way where all the personalities have a leading a principle centered life because principles don't change they're universal and they're self-evident so that means that uh, they're not they're universal they work everyone they're timeless and they're self-evident which means you can see whether you are living to, according to your principles or not and then you have to adjust and commit to getting back on track when you get off when you you can make comp you can compromise, but when you compromise a principle, then that's that's different. You can't compromise your principles. Your principle is all life is sacred, or whatever it is, or live and let live. Uh, you know, you you get to pursue your your freedom and your liberty as long as you don't impinge on somebody else's. But my job is not to try to control you because now you're going to get resistance because when you use force. You got to keep doing force and then you get counterforce. But when you use power, it flows. You don't have to do anything. It, it just flows. And so unfortunately, in this country, we're getting to the point where people have this need to really want to be in control and have ultimate power. And they don't know, realize that at some point there's going to be resistance and resentment from even if we say, oh, yeah, we're signed up for this. But you have to repress those emotions you have that says, I don't like people telling me who I should be because it's, it's inauthentic. And that is not healthy. It's not healthy. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a positive way of dealing with the, uh, you know, with our, um, you know, freedom. Escape from freedom. You and know, that and repression, that repression right comes out some yeah. way. We're going all the way back to the 1920s when Hitler's time is the same thing that's going on now. You have these people that want to control everything and want to demonize certain people. We don't learn from my history. We repeat it. And so this is why having these spiritual, um, I wouldn't say concepts, but ways of being that help us to, to really not go to the power of the dark side. 
you know, we, we can stay, you know, we can use a force, but not in a force in a way where you're, you get dark and, and, and it's about destruction, not about production. Well, so I, w- I have one more question for you, being, being mindful of your time here. This is a question, it's a personal question about, about your own story. I, I want to talk to you just a little bit about um, your time spent working alongside Phil Jackson, particularly the time when you first started with, with the Bulls. You had just found yourself with this job working with the Chicago Bulls and Phil Jackson, this, this job that combined your two passions of basketball and mindfulness practice. And you ended up there by what you call following your heart by yes. embracing what you felt was, uh, you felt most deeply and passionately about and letting it guide and shape your life as improbable that as it may have seemed from, from where you were and where you started out. And Campbell would say that doors opened where That's there right. were no doors. Yes. Um, yes. But it was this really kind of uh, a time of crisis on the Chicago Bulls because Michael right. Jordan had just retired because his his father had been tragically murdered. And I, I bring this situation up um, in the context of Campbell because you were following your bliss and it mm-hmm. opened these doors and you ended up in this place. But following our bliss isn't always easy. And then if we stick with it, even though we might be in the right place, it's going to inevitably force us into our own depths to discover um, the resources that we have. Mm-hmm. And I just would like you to to talk about how that experience was for you at this very yes. important point in your life. So you got to put it in the context that I lived in hell for all those years when I was in recovery and whatnot. And so not being there, and it's interesting because I was working in this job as a financial analyst and the, the crap hit the fan and so I was in this job and I didn't like it but I was really good at it and my heart wasn't in it so I wouldn't show up the meetings or I'd go there and I was not really passionate about it and one day I, I talk about in the book I, I went and uh, see my teacher Larry Rosenberg and I go into the meeting and he says hey what's going on with you and I said what do you mean he says you, you seem happy and I said, well, I took a mental health day off from work. And he said, without missing a beat, you should make a habit of that. <laughs> you know. And then, but I had to think, but it got to the point where I hit, uh, I couldn't stay and I couldn't leave. And then at some point, and I remember this one weekend, I, all I could do is breathe in and breathe out. And because I couldn't stay and I couldn't leave. And then I decided to leave. And to leave, you can imagine all the anxiety. You're leaving something that's really good paying job and you're really good at it. But you left. But it was around the time or the year before I was listening to the power of myth. So these, these, um, so these ideas uh, were, you know, got into my, um, you know, awareness, my psyche, and then I just went for, you know, well, if I only had six months to live, what would I be doing? You know, that sort of thing. And so when I committed to it and I was working at the medical center in the stress reduction relaxation program, now it's called Center for Mindfulness, and it's known as Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. I was there and it was just one of those things that happened. I was working in the prison and I had the inner city clinic and and John was uh, doing something at Omega and Phil was there at the same time and and they talked about it and and Phil's wife, June, was a wife at the time june was was doing her you know she was a social worker and so she was doing the training with the mindfulness-based stress reduction and then she talked to john about bringing somebody in to work with the team now i was a perfect person i had dr j as a roommate 
and I came from the same place they, you know, a lot of the, some of the players did. And so Phil just said, hey, why don't you come in, work out? So that opportunity was there, that door opened because I was open to the fact uh, I had to unlock enough to not stay in a job that I didn't like and it was paying me a lot of money and then trying to figure it out. So you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable and then you have to be humble. So for me, I knew that I could help and that was my orientation. How can I help? So I'm saying, okay, I'm going to work with a team that just won three NBA championships. What do I have to offer them? And I didn't get stuck in the self or what I have, what are going to think about me? It was an opportunity to serve. And what can I talk about? I can share my experience, strength, and hope, and I can let go and just listen to that inner wisdom that, that will lead the way and just pray and just go out there and figure it out. And then I realized, okay, I just talked to them about being a spiritual warrior and about being in the zone, being in flow. Now, this stuff came from my own experience, but all of those things that I experienced in the past, they came to play. You know, me me getting injured and not playing and, and having to deal with the identity crisis and whatnot, the chronic pain, that prepared me for the going and just listen and, and just trust that if I am listening and if I show up, if I can be still and know, I'll figure it out. So that's what happened. And then we created something. And so I went there just to deal with the stress of success, but it was a full-blown crisis. So once I get, again, where your pain is, is where your life is. So let's go into that. Let's deal with this. Let's, let's not, let's not waste this opportunity, you know, to just get, but you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so for me, how I did that was I just prayed and meditated and just let go and let God, because I felt like, my job is just to do and figure it out. There's the mindfulness and the wisdom, just seeing what's there, listening, and then based on what they're saying, well, okay, this is this is the, what's coming out of that creativity, that wisdom. This is how we're going to do this. And so we were making it up as we went along, but there was a commitment to the moment. I know if you manage the moment, you'll know what to do. You just have to show up and be still. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, so it's Com so completely. Simple, but challenging to do. But once again, I overcame, uh, you know, heroin and alcohol and chronic pain and all of that stuff. So that stuff made me stronger. As Nietzsche says, that, that which does not kill you makes you stronger. So I kept saying, okay, I'm on a journey and it's a journey of self-discovery. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be great. It, um, the interest, the curiosity, the idea of getting to the MBA this way because I couldn't go the other way in 1987. When Dr. J's number got retired, I said, well, damn, if he's retiring, I'd be retiring. So I guess I can let go of that dream of playing the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but here I am still engaged with it. But if I was a player, I wouldn't have been able to be, um, be in that situation. And the other thing is, you know, working with Phil 30 years, whatever it was. But, you know, I went through eight NBA championships with him six in a seven year period. So, uh, but I didn't recognize it till afterwards because when you're mindful, you're just focusing on the next thing and you're not looking at how you're doing. You're just, oh, that was great. Okay, but now we got a couple of weeks, then we got to get ready for the next season as always now. And so living in the now, you do things, but the way that that happens is because I'm not focused on how I'm doing, I'm focused on what I'm doing and how I can serve 
then when you look back at it, you say, oh, my goodness, how did that happen? Well, the doors were there. The opportunities were there. Uh, there was a lot of adversity that was there that we said yes to, and, and we used it as stepping stones. But that was me experiencing, sharing my experience, strength, and hope because, you know, just think about it. How do you get from a shooting gallery in a crack house to behind the bench of an NBA team? I mean, how do you do that? Well, you got a masterpiece, and you got to unlock. That's how you do it. You got to unlock. Well, by showing up as your authentic self with with everything that you went through, like you said, you made the NBA in your own way, and you did yes. it in a way that impacted so many other people's lives, right? right. In in a, such a positive way, and it keeps happening. You know, I'm here because I'm I'm affected by your story, and I'm, I know that this conversation is going to affect even more people's lives, George. So. I just want to thank you again for for having this conversation with me. And I want to thank you for all the work that you've done and that you're doing to bring these skills of mindfulness and compassion and gratitude into uh, a world that desperately needs them. So uh, thank you. And where, well, where thank can you. people learn more about you, George? Yes. So they can go to my website at georgemumford.com. I also have a YouTube channel and I'm on social media on Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm not on TikTok yet, but I'm on all the other ones, LinkedIn, all, all of those things. Uh, but yeah, and obviously I have the book, uh, The Mindful Athletes, Secrets of Pure Performance and, and you know, Unlock, Embrace Your Greatness, Find the Flow, Discover Success. So you can find them on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and all of those places, or you can go to the website. But yeah, it's, you know, I, it, it's, this is why I do this because the, it, it impacts people like you, but you impact me as well. And just being on, like I said, the Joseph Campbell Foundation Park, I mean, wow. I mean, it, it's, it's powerful. I mean, and this is what I mean, the door is open. Who would have thought his teachings, uh, you know, are reflected in who I've become and how I was able to do that. So I'm going to share that. I'm going to offer that to the world. Beautiful, George. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate you so much. Throughout the conversation, George reminds us how important it is to find and know who we really are. His concept of becoming unlocked underscores the importance of self-discovery. He says, to be who you are, you must first know who you are. And from that foundation, we can authentically express and share our true selves with the world. Joseph Campbell said, the privilege of a lifetime is being who you are. And he also said, opportunities to find deeper powers within ourselves come when life seems most challenging. George's life story beautifully embodies these principles and illustrates how the practice of mindfulness and meditation can be instrumental in accessing our true selves at the deepest level. His story inspires us all to embrace the privilege of being who we are, particularly when life's challenges seem insurmountable, and to share our authentic selves and gifts with the world. Next time on the podcast with a thousand faces, we sit down with Roshi Joan Halifax. Roshi Joan speaks to Buddhists and non-followers alike on such universal topics as compassion, suffering, and what it is to be human. Influenced by early experiences as an anthropologist, world traveler, passionate end-of-life pioneer, 
and her work in social and ecological activism, she eloquently teaches the interwoven nature of engaged Buddhism and contemplative practice. In the 1970s, she collaborated on LSD research projects with her ex-husband, Stanislav Graf. She was a friend of Joseph Campbell and spent a period of time in New York assisting Campbell on his historical atlas of world mythology. She is the founder, abbot, and head teacher of Upaya Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. In the conversation, we discuss her life, her experiences working with Joseph Campbell, and the importance of understanding what it is to be a human being. Roshi Joan Halifax, next time on The Podcast with a Thousand Faces. The Podcast with a Thousand Faces is a production of the Joseph Campbell Foundation and the Mythmaker Podcast Network. It is produced by Tyler Lapkin, executive producer John Booker, editing and audio services provided by Charles Mallet. All music exclusively provided by APM Music. For more podcasts and information about Joseph Campbell, please visit jcf.org.